and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Mark Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And today we want to continue our discussion on the election and the presidency of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. So on our first program, we talked about President Kennedy's background growing up and being a PT commander in World War II, his chronic illnesses growing up, his very, very bad back, almost died one time on the operating table. And then when he became a congressman and then young senator and how he won the 1960 election, it was the closest election in American history where he defeated Vice President Richard Nixon by 118,000 votes. And Kennedy got 49.7%. Richard Nixon got 49.6% of the popular vote. Only 118,000 votes were separated, the two of them. It was the thinnest margin in American history. President Kennedy then sets up his cabinet. He begins his presidency. And even though Nixon got just a little bit less vote, the country in itself really began to stand behind John Fitzgerald Kennedy in many different ways, even though a lot of Republicans, most of the Republicans wanted Richard Nixon to win. It was a different time period in America. Unfortunately, we don't see that today where whoever with the president, we stood behind them. We prayed for them. We encouraged them. We wanted them to succeed. And remember, we're in the midst of the Cold War at that point. So Kennedy is one of our Cold War presidents. He was only president for 1,063 days. And what President Kennedy was able to do in his short presidency, particularly with his physical ailments and the tremendous amount of medicines that he was taking and that so many of the doctors that he was coming under the influence of was just astounding that this man was able to accomplish as much as he was able to do in a short amount of time with his physical ailments. So I just briefly want to look at some of the foreign policy of President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And the first one he established was in March, which is a few months after he assumed the presidency, which was the Alliance for Progress. And that was a program that was very similar to the Marshall Program. If you remember, after World War II, General Marshall encouraged the government of the United States to economically help rebuild parts of Europe and rebuild Japan, which was called the Marshall Plan. And we helped rebuild the enemy who we defeated, which helped encourage a lot of these countries to move towards democracy. And President Kennedy wanted to do the exact thing type of program in Latin America. How can we encourage Latin American countries, one, to become modernized country? Secondly, how can it help their citizens to become better off technologically and medically? And then how can we influence Latin America to move towards being more democratic or having democratic governments? So the Alliance for Progress, there was $20 billion in economic aid that was to be given to Latin America over a 10-year period. 
Unfortunately, this was not a successful program. It was very short-lived. And unfortunately, there were several Latin American countries that were unwilling to implement the needed reforms. And then the presidents after John Fitzgerald Kennedy really went in different directions as far as their policies towards Latin America. And actually, the amount of money that was given for economic aid in the Latin America was just not enough money to go over the entire hemisphere. But John Kennedy knew that we needed to continue to be protective as we possibly could. And so we wanted to have countries around the United States, particularly in Latin America, to be more supportive towards us in so many different ways. If you remember the philosophy of the Eisenhower administration under John Foster Dulles was to be more combative towards the Soviet Union and threaten them if they tried anything militarily. And then before that, the theory of containment, which was under Truman from George Kennan, that if we can contain the Soviet Union in itself, ultimately it will collapse from within. So we went from containment to more of the mutually assured destruction policy during the Eisenhower years. Well, Kennedy moved to what he called a more flexible response, that we would be open to negotiate, that we wouldn't be so dogmatically hard if situations arose to it. So that was his idea with the Alliance for Progress. Unfortunately, it, it was not a success for many, many different reasons, but we saw that to Latin America from the Kennedy administration. The second foreign policy situation was the Bay of Pigs fiasco, which was April of 1961. There were several plans left over from the Eisenhower administration thinking about how we could eliminate Fidel Castro as the communist dictator of Cuba. One of the plans that was thought about, and these were just plans, they were never implemented, one of the plans was that we would support the Cuban freedom fighters who escaped communist Cuba. We would militarily train them, pay them, supply them, have them invade Cuba, and we would give them air support as they invaded Cuba to overthrow the Castro dictatorship. So we were going to supply them with arms and money. We're going to equip the anti-Castro Cubans, training them in Guatemala. So in April, on April 17th of 1961, 1,500 Cuban freedom fighters landed on the Bay of Pigs. Unfortunately, when this was being revealed, President Kennedy had made the decision that he didn't exactly want that policy, but it was too late. It had already started. So President Kennedy did not allow our Air Force to be used in, in defending these Cuban freedom fighters who came ashore at the Bay of Pigs. Our, our ships, our naval ships did not support them with bombing Castro's small military that showed up at the Bay of Pigs. And unfortunately, 1,200 of these Cuban freedom fighters were captured. 300 were killed. They were all in prison. President Kennedy came on, the, uh, had a news conference that night, and, and he basically said to America that the communist forces were so superior 
the United States could not give the mayor support, which was political hype, which was not true. Not true. But we didn't know it at the time. But that's what that's what he said. That you know why why this became an embarrassment. So it truly what we say it's the Bay of Pigs fiasco. It was a major, major debacle and it was a major, major error by this young president. After twenty months and fifty-three million dollars that we gave in food and medicine to Fidel Castro, we got almost twelve hundred of those freedom fighters back. And they were given back to us after 20 months, a great embarrassment, tremendous amount of money. And Castro, though he was he was a communist, was more incensed to the United States over what happened and what we tried to do to overthrow him. He aligned himself even more closely with the Soviet Union, which was to the delight of the Soviet Union, because now there was a communist nation in the Western Hemisphere. So that was the Bay of Pigs fiasco. And then we see from that situation the youngness and the inexperienced John Kennedy. In 1961 also, John Kennedy sent Vice President Lyndon Johnson to South Vietnam, where we began to set up strategic hamlets with the Green Berets to train the South Vietnamese to equip themselves and protect themselves and militarily that we've trained them to fight off the North Vietnamese Army and the Viet Cong. So President Kennedy began to send Green Berets over to South Vietnam to help train the South Vietnamese Army. And within two years, the numbers went from about 200 to 16,000 Green Berets that were not there technically fighting. They were there to train the South Vietnamese army. President Kennedy was adamant that he wasn't going to send combat troops to South Vietnam. And actually, unfortunately, by the time he was assassinated, he was actually beginning to bring a lot out of the Green Berets home from South Vietnam, realizing that it was an impossible situation. In May of 1961, May 25th of 1961, we had barely put a man up in space, Alan Shepard. We had barely put a man up in space. It was, a, it was our first American in space was Alan Shepard. It was a very short flight. He was basically up and in, in it was over in a very, very quick amount of time. President Kennedy committed America with our space program to be on the moon by the end of the decade. By the end of the decade, President Kennedy committed America to safely landing a human being on the moon and safely returning that human being back to Earth. And that was May of 1961. And he committed us to do that by the end of the decade. Most of our engineers and scientists said to President Kennedy that it would take 25 years probably to get a man on the moon. And actually, we did it in less than a decade. We did it in July of 1969 with Neil Armstrong stepping onto the moon. So we see President Kennedy's commitment of America to be on the moon by the end of the decade because President Kennedy knew the importance of the space race with our technology, staying ahead of the Soviet Union on so many different levels with our technology. 
So at a wonderful speech that he gave at Rice University in May of 1961, we see President Kennedy committing America to the moon by the end of the decade. And it happened in, in less than a decade. In June, President Kennedy went to Vienna to have a, a conference with Nikita Khrushchev. It did not go well for President Kennedy at the conference. Nikita Khrushchev thought he was very intelligent, but he thought John Kennedy was weak and that he could be bullied and he could be pushed around as a weak young president. President Kennedy was very angry when he came home from this summit that he allowed himself to be pushed around by Nikita Khrushchev. So Khrushchev at that time thought that there was many things that he could do, particularly in Europe, thinking that President Kennedy was a weak president that he could get away with. So that was June of 61. In August of 61, it's when the Berlin Wall was erected. The Soviets helped put the fence up, and then they built the wall, the Berlin Wall. And Nikita Khrushchev thought that Kennedy would just cave to that and this is where we begin to see President Kennedy standing up to Nikita Khrushchev and the Berlin crisis. Kennedy began to, well, President Kennedy sent 1,500 military to West Berlin, not to fight, but show support for West Berlin and West Germany. And Khrushchev threatened us, and he, he threatened President Kennedy to remove the troops or there would be severe consequences. Kennedy stood his ground and the Soviets threatened to seal off the whole city of Berlin. Kennedy stood his ground there strength-wise and, and Khrushchev finally backed down. And the city Berlin, the whole of Berlin was not sealed off. So we begin to see the change in President Kennedy and him learning particularly from the Bay of Pigs fiasco, how he must stand strong against the Soviet Union. And then ultimately, which I'm jumping ahead, President Kennedy went to West Berlin in 1963 and gave his, his very famous I'm a Berliner speech. And again, I listeners, I recommend highly that you listen to that speech because there are so many good things that he said in that speech. For example, he said that, that there are those that say that communism and democracy can live together. Let those people come to Berlin. There are those that say that communism is superior to democracy economically. Let those people come to Berlin. There are those that say that communism is a better form of government than democracy. We are not of those who fence in our citizens to keep them in our country. Let those people come to Berlin. And then he gave his famous line, I am a Berliner. And even though he mispronounced the words, they knew what he was saying and that we stood strong with West Berlin against Soviet domination, which ultimately years later, we saw the breaking of, of the Berlin Wall and the reunification of East Germany with West Germany, which today is, thank goodness, is a democracy. President Kennedy also started the Peace Corps. In 1961, President Kennedy encouraged young Americans coming out of college to 
help to go to underdeveloped countries and help train, educate people from third world countries. The Peace Corps helped promote peace in foreign countries and to show foreign countries that Americans really care about them, what they're able to do, living in freedom, and be able to use the blessings that we have here in our technology and medically and our training and education to help those countries also become stronger countries. The Peace Corps also helped promote a tremendous amount of new patriotism in America. Over 200,000 young Americans coming out of college from 1961 through 2013, 210,000 Americans joined the Peace Corps serving in over 139 countries. And this is the program that we see JFK's great ability to motivate people, motivating young Americans coming out of college to live off a minimum wage, to go to a third world country for a year or two years to help train and educate and help medically help other people in other countries. So the Peace Corps. In 1962, in October of 62, we come to the most severe threat to America and threat to the Kennedy administration, and that was the Cuban Missile Crisis. We discovered that the Soviet Union was building missile silos in Cuba, and we got those pictures from our, our U-2 planes. President Kennedy called a news conference and said that we're putting a, a military blockade, naval blockade and an air blockade around Cuba, and that no Soviet ship, no Soviet aircraft coming into Cuban airspace or waters will be tolerated. They will be shot down or sunk. And that the Soviet Union must dismantle those missile sites. 13 days. It was a traumatic, very scary 13 days. Who was going to blink first? The Soviet Union or the United States? Well, Bobby Kennedy had an idea that he promoted to his President Kennedy, saying that we need to give Khrushchev, Nikita Khrushchev, an off-ramp. If we offer him to take our rockets out of Turkey. That'll give Khrushchev an off-ramp to say, hey, we agreed to dismantle the missile sites. The United States agreed to take the rockets out of Turkey. And Khrushchev took that. And he was able to save face. The reality was those missiles that we had in Turkey were World War II. They were antiquated. No one knew that in the Soviet Union. So they were old World War II weaponry that was really, it was very much antiquated, but it gave Castro an off-ramp. So the Cuban Missile Crisis was stymated. It made President Kennedy stand up to the Soviet Union. It made him look strong as a leader that we, were, we would stand up for freedom around the world. And then the last one that I want to mention is the Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, which was no doubt one of the highlights of the Kennedy administration. In 1963, the Nuclear Test Ban Treaty got us to the point where we were able to have 
a situation where we would begin to limit the amount of nuclear weapons. The United States, Great Britain, Soviet Union all agreed to stop, to outlaw nuclear tests in the atmosphere, space, and underwater. And this was no doubt one of, if not the major accomplishment of John Fitzgerald Kennedy's young presidency. And that was October, October 10th of 1963. What was going on in Vietnam, as I mentioned earlier, President Kennedy was bringing Green Berets home from South Vietnam, realizing that we could not get involved in South Vietnam militarily. Uh, the South Vietnamese government under Diem, he was not liked. He was a brutal dictator. He was uh, persecuting a lot of the Buddhists, taking their temples, putting a lot of the Buddhists in jail. He was a, a very dishonest person. He was selling a lot of the weaponry at, that we were giving him to fight against the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong. He was selling those weapons on the black market and keeping the money. The South Vietnamese did not like ZM one bit, but we had to support him because he wasn't a communist. Some of the people in the ZM government said to the Kennedy administration that we want to get rid of ZM and we want a new government. And the Kennedy administration knew that, that they needed help them. So they said to these people, take ZM, arrest him, put him in prison, put in somebody, put in a new government, and we will support your new government. Do not kill ZM. It'll make you look very bad. They agreed to that. They arrested ZM. They put him in the back of the tr a truck, and they shot him in the head, and they killed him. And that was November of 1963. What would President Kennedy do? Unfortunately, we don't know because 21 days later, President Kennedy on November 22nd, 1963, was shot and killed, assassinated in Dealey Plaza by Lee Harvey Oswald. We have no how much of our his, country's history would be so totally different if President Kennedy had had not been assassinated. Could Lyndon Johnson, the next president, he escalated our military policy in Vietnam. He sent combat troops into Vietnam. And we went through this tragic, terrible time in America with, with the Vietnam conflict where we lost 58,309 young men and eight nurses in Vietnam. Unfortunately, on so many different levels, with the assassination of President Kennedy in Dallas, so much of our history would have been different if he had not been assassinated. And we historians say that really began the death of hope. So many people were so discouraged because of this young president and the things that he was doing in our country in foreign policy and economically that I haven't even talked about, we're encouraged by that this young president was now our fourth president who had been assassinated. And we went through a lot of traumatic years after 
his assassination, which we will talk about in later programs. So that is basically, briefly, a large overview of the presidency of, of John Fitzgerald Kennedy, the death of Camelot, and what has happened to our country in so many different ways, tragically, since President Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963. This is 1180 AM WFYL, working for your liberty. <laughs>